my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Moss Show, where we talk about, of course, the decentralized revolution, the way the world is changing right before our very eyes. And we look at it through the lens of politics, finance, and technology. And of course, that technology that changes the world is Bitcoin, the decentralized technology. And, you know, I like to bring to you some late breaking news and some education to change your uh, the way that you think about things, but also some some guests. So you don't have to listen to me all the time. And I have a returning guest. I have Dennis Porter in the studio with me today. He is the CEO and co-founder of the Satoshi Action Fund. He's the president and founder of Satoshi um, Action Education as well, which, of course, are two things that I like. I like I like education and specifically education that leads into action. So anyway, uh, Dennis, thanks so much for joining me today. Yay, Mark. Glad to be back on the show. And uh, I'm going to have to use your line more often. I'll be like, education that leads to action. That's our new uh, That's our new slogan. It should be. You know, I talk about all the time. I, I, I Actually, I said it on an earlier segment. Um, I say that, you know, we've been told that knowledge is power, but that's not true. Only knowledge put into action is power. Otherwise, I think ignorance is bliss. Like, I'd rather just take the blue pill and not even know, right? Um, so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Only, only, only actionable knowledge. Knowledge put into action is power, right? But anyway, you know, Dennis, I know you know we've had you on before, and and you were involved on the on the politics side uh, for any number of things, and and then you kind of put together this action fund, um, really kind of uh, helping to educate and 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 take you know action into the you know kind of political realm, and we're kind of at this point where. You know, specifically, specifically around Bitcoin, um, kind of like left it alone for a decade, you know, until it started kind of getting big enough and starting to show up on people's radars. And then politicians were trying to kind of figure out what they want to do about this. 
And now it seems to like really escalate where it really seems to me like the Biden regime that we have in place today, which would include, you know, Elizabeth Warren and Gary Gensler are really anti-Bitcoin, anti-crypto and almost even anti-tech overall. Do you see that uh, like really coming um, from from, you know, kind of that group like this really like this anti-innovation, anti-tech movement? I mean, you definitely do see some some components of that taking place. I would say the majority of the anti-digital asset, let's say broadly, because it really is kind of the way that they view the space. The anti-digital asset bent is coming from the Council of Economic Advisors, but also from the Liz Warren campaign, um, where she has a lot of ties. And I, I do believe that the Biden administration broadly does have a very negative tone towards Bitcoin. We have seen, though, I will say with Gary Gensler, although he is very anti-crypto at this point, seemingly going after exchanges with no sort of restriction on what he's willing to do, willing to go after you know XRP and various crypto assets, but has pretty much left Bitcoin alone. And you know, some on the crypto side of the aisle will say, well, you know, just you wait till Gary Gensler comes for you. But he's been pretty clear about his viewpoint that he believes that Bitcoin is a commodity. And the CFTC, I believe, is also in alignment with that. So we might be narrowly escaping that bullet. The biggest area where I do see the most concern is not necessarily on the SEC, CFTC front for Bitcoin. It is actually, in fact, for the majority of Bitcoin businesses and and prolific individuals within the Bitcoin space that are getting limited in their ability to access banking. We've seen banks all across this country not only prevent Bitcoiners and Bitcoin-based companies from having access to financial services. And we're just talking about basic banking services at this point. Uh, but And they've also kicked them out on top of that. I was just talking to a gentleman today who said he went through 30 different banks before he was finally accepted. I spoke to one of the largest Bitcoin mining companies in the entire world. And they said they were at a bank for six years and then they got kicked out. So this is the area where I think we need to have the most focus and not be so concerned if you're a Bitcoiner. Uh, if you're a crypto person, you should probably care a lot about Gary Gensler. But as someone who's focused on Bitcoin, I'm more so worried about this banking issue. And I think it's something that we should pay a lot of attention to. Yeah, I mean, I can I can give firsthand account of that. Uh, you know, we've launched the Bitcoin Opportunity Fund and uh, we we've we've successfully completed our first round of financing, which is which went up pretty well. Um, shout out to Bitcoin Opportunity Fund. If you're interested in investing through the Bitcoin ecosystem, check it out, bitcoinopportunity.fund and get more info there. But um, you know, because we have Bitcoin in the name, we were having problems getting bank accounts. And like we had commitments of people ready to wire money over and all of a sudden we can't get the bank and we're like, dang, why didn't we just why did we have to put Bitcoin in the name? We should just put we're just a we're just an investment fund, right? But because because Bitcoin was in the name, we had we had a big problem. We finally found a bank, but it was it was we had to go through quite a few. It was difficult, so I, I definitely see that. But um, you know, you talked about you know Gary Gensler specifically, which of course I did as well. But so so do you see it really as like this? Uh, I, I guess what I was trying to ask is it really like this attack on digital assets? Are they trying to protect money? Trying to protect the digital dollar or the dollar? Or do you think that it's also hostile to tech in general? And I say that because, like, um, of what we see happening, like with the Restrict Act and you know TikTok bill and and things like that. To your point there, I think just broadly we see uh, an anti-tech bent not only in the Democrat Party, we also see it happening in the Republican Party. I mean, there are uh, at the state level, which is where we spend a very large majority of our time. There are uh, several states which have moved to ban government officials from 
accessing TikTok, from using TikTok. And I think that you're going to see that sort of activity pick up. It's really become one of those things where it's viewed as somewhat of a national security threat. And generally speaking on national security threats, not always, but generally you do see uh, Republicans and Democrats working across the aisle on these issues. And, and unfortunately, in this sort of situation, that national security threat is in a position now where it seems like it's going to be limiting the access of, uh, to innovation, limiting the access to tech. But uh, ultimately, you know, we, we do need to be careful. We do need to be careful about apps that are wholly controlled by the CCP, uh, like TikTok, and, um, and making sure that we are paying attention to what's going on, because we also know that TikTok collects a lot of information that's on its users. So something to be cautious of. I don't like necessarily that in, the, in, in kind of the effort to go after things like TikTok through the Restrict Act, that we are kind of ultimately broadly hurting other things, other other types of innovation, other types of technology. So we have to be very careful in the way that we go after uh, bad actors in the space. We can't just take, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, I, I don't know the specific the details of how this would directly hurt Bitcoin. I have heard some good arguments on it, but I don't think it's the thing that we should be the most focused on right now yeah. within the space. Yeah. I just think back to this quote from Christine Lagarde, who said that uh, innovation is a threat to our financial stability. I saw that a couple of years ago. It's just always stuck with me. Um, and, and, and I guess that's true. Innovation is a threat to the financial stability, but the it's really not financial stability, it's financial monopoly that they control, right? So innovation is disruptive and, 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 and innovation is always inherently disruptive. I want to go back to, um, you know, back to Satoshi Action Fund. And I know you guys help uh, put forward uh, the right to mine bill. Um, give me give me a minute, minute and a half summary of what that right to mine bill is and what you're trying to do with that. Yeah, absolutely, Mark. So what was happening across the country is we saw varying types of discrimination against Bitcoin miners generally rooted in a misunderstanding of the technology. People often hear about Bitcoin mining and they either think, you know, one of two things or both that this is a scam, that this is a, you know, Ponzi scheme. Why are we letting this thing use up all of our energy? Or the other one is that they have been misinformed to believe that Bitcoin mining is bad for the environment, which is an argument, in fact, that we are doing a much better job of winning these days. But unfortunately, there are still a lot of individuals out there who still believe that Bitcoin is a scam or that it's bad for the environment. And so at the local level, we're seeing attacks on Bitcoin mining, everything ranging from uh, changing, calling emergency meetings and changing zoning rules and zoning laws, which led in the county of Missoula to a $20 million Bitcoin mining operation going completely bankrupt. Wow. Uh, we also see in the state of Idaho, the regulators there agreed with an increase in power pricing for for Bitcoin miners, which is which is fairly unheard of. Generally speaking, in the world of energy in the United States, you are not allowed through the public utility commissions, which are the state regulators when it comes to energy, you're not allowed to discriminate against different groups, but they did. Um, the, the attempt by Idaho Power, they were trying to raise rates on all the miners broadly within their footprint. It was much more aggressive. And so fortunately it got tampered down and it was much more of a reasonable increase, but still we did see that type of discrimination. We also see frivolous noise complaints taking place all across the country. And, the, and so the bill that we created, it just protects in law Bitcoiners and Bitcoin miners from those sorts of attacks. And also with it just so happens in the state of Montana, we did pass a law yeah, I want inside of that bill. I want I want to hear more about that, that would, specifically, but I want to come back to that in a second. But if you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Mark Moss show. 
I'm sitting down with Dennis Porter in studio from Satoshi Action Fund to find out what's going on in the political world in regards to money and Bitcoin and technology. We'll be back with more in a minute. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning, is connecting with people. In an unscripted, unvarnished way, is getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine, And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. I'm in studio with Dennis Porter from Satoshi Action Fund, and we're discussing what's going on in the political landscape in regards to Bitcoin and, and technology in general. Uh, you know, Dennis, before that break, you were just talking about, um, you know, some of the things that you guys have been doing. And um, specifically, you were talking about, you know, some of the education that you've been doing to try to counteract some misinformation that's out there. And then you were kind of going into an actual bill. So not just the education, but the action of, of what you're doing and submitting the bill. Uh, I want to I find out about the bill, and I have some questions about that. But before we do, just kind of going back to the um, education side for a second. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of mis... I mean, they, they you know, they, uh, the mainstream media accuses everyone else of misinformation. Uh, it seems like they're the ones putting out the misinformation when they constantly put out uh, misleading stories, uh, sort of like what the New York Times had, have, have done in, in Texas. Um, and so is that kind of what you're trying to uh, counteract, so to speak, right? Kind of going to these politicians who are kind of getting this misinformation and trying to kind of educate them on, on you know, what's really going on there? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're right. We do see sort of misinformation campaigns taking place across the country when it comes to Bitcoin mining. Uh, it is the, you know, unfortunately there is like somewhat of an incentive in the media to attack Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining. You can get a lot of clicks and a lot of views. And, but unfortunately, oftentimes we see uh, just flat out 
total misinformation with regards to how Bitcoin mining works and the amount of energy that it is consuming. Uh, so we are educating on a regular basis, but one of the other components that I think is really critical to changing hearts and minds on this issue is not just going out and saying, hey, well, actually Bitcoin mining does this for the environment or it's really good at balancing the grid, but turning around and also providing research for the space. Uh, you know, we talked about Satoshi Action Fund, but we also have Satoshi Action Education, as you mentioned earlier in the show, and that entity is wholly focused on providing better research for the Bitcoin mining industry and not just some white papers. We're also talking about peer reviewed research, which some people might have a problem with, but it is the best system that we have. Um, you know, it's it, it, the good line for it is it's the worst system except for all the other ones. Yeah. But the peer review process, what it does is it, it, it puts it puts uh, the people that are on the fence or might be opposed to Bitcoin mining back into the thinking cabinet and having to think about what are they going to do with this issue? And is it something that actually can provide value? Because right now they're sitting around saying, this thing is destroying the environment, it's bad for the grid, it's hurting the planet, it's soaking up all the energy, what are we gonna do about it? We want them to go back to the drawing board and start thinking about how maybe there are some things that they don't like about Bitcoin mining. Let's say that you're like, on the fringes when it comes to the environmental issue and you're very, very, very staunchly opposed to uh, uh, using fossil fuels, well, great. You can use Bitcoin mining to advance renewable energy across this country. In fact, it may very well be one of the most important technologies for that. And we want to provide the research to be able to back up those claims. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point. And it's something that I've been thinking a lot about lately, Dennis, you know, where like it's, and, 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 and to be honest, it's uh, uh, maybe the first time I've publicly been talking about this on any of my outlets, but it's really been making me rethink even my content, right. Where like I was, I think it might've been, you know, it's just like um, in life we go where our focus is like where our focus is, our energy goes kind of a thing. Right. And like, are we focused on fighting or are we focused on building, right? Are we focused on on uh, holding back or where we want to go? And like, um, you know, I think w w when I was listening to you talk, it was kind of making me think through that on my own where like, are we trying to like constantly fight against the government to prevent them? Or could we just focus on building these brand new renewable energy grids? Like, could we could we go and help them accomplish what they want with this technology? And, and it's just the difference of that, that focus, right? Like it's a positive uh, focus um, where we're building um, out, comp out competing, right? Like good ideas typically win because they're better, right? And so like, if you can say, hey, look, here's how you can scale a renewable energy grid. You can offset some of the costs with some Bitcoin mining. And they look at it more as like a, a tool as opposed to like Bitcoin specifically. I don't know, is that some, maybe how you sort of present it? Yeah, absolutely. I, we, we definitely talk about Bitcoin mining as a tool. We talk about it as a piece of energy infrastructure. And I do agree with your statement about, the fact that we need to be able to go in and build these things is just as important, if not more important than trying to win the argument. You know, if we just sit around on Twitter and we just submit, uh, you know, uh, new blog posts uh, to our blog and talking about how great Bitcoin is and Bitcoin mining is, that's good. That's great. We, we need that sort of education out there for the public. But as it pertains to policymakers, it's really important that we build the things that we're talking about so that we have evidence to show that these things are taking place. And, and, I, and that's happening at a rapid pace. You know, in the last five years, we went from, oh, maybe Bitcoin mining could be good to balancing the grid to Bitcoin mining is actually balancing the grid all over the country, particularly in Texas, where during a winter storm there, Bitcoin miners were able to deliver up to 1500 megawatts of power back to the grid in the middle of an emergency. And just to put it in context, 
1,500 megawatts of power is enough power to heat 1.5 million small homes. And that's in the middle of an emergency when no one else is wanting to give up their power. So we just need to keep building, keep proving, and eventually that also helps us in our arguments when it comes to convincing our world leaders to adopt Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining. Yeah. And I want to go back, um, you know, I want to go back to the bill, uh, the bill that you submitted, because I think about like um, kind of going back to like focus on the good. Right. And like, <laughs> you know, the, the 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 power that, you know, money has in this realm. Right. So, for example, um, if these big energy companies, these big power companies can go, dang, you know, using this technology, not even thinking about it in regards to Bitcoin, but using this technology, we can not lose billions of dollars now, right? Now we have a new revenue source. Then like they would be motivated to then go push it on the political front themselves. Like, hey, we need this. And then like, I think back to like the bill and uh, this is where maybe you can kind of correct me a little bit, but it seems like most lawmakers, <laughs> the legislators that go into office don't actually create any bills. They don't create the laws, right? Like they co-sponsor bills, right? They, they co-sponsor the bills. But where do the bills come from? The bills come from like the lobby groups, I'm guessing, right? So like uh, maybe one, correct me on that. But two, if we can get those power grid companies to go like, dang, this is a tool that we really want. It can help offset extra revenue. Then they might be the ones actually pushing for that themselves. Yeah, that's very insightful, actually, Mark. Um, I'll get to the policy component in a, mo in a moment here, but... You know, you really tapped into one of the major reasons why Satoshi Action Fund exists and why we're so focused on the state level. If you can get energy companies to adopt Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining as a technology and they see it as a positive, and in fact, they are willing to fight for it, you have now put Bitcoin mining into a very, very, very positive political position yeah. because the, at the state level in, in the United States is where the majority of energy policy takes place. And because every single, almost every single one of these utility companies and energy companies are highly regulated at the state level. In fact, you know, most utilities in the United States are, you know, regulated monopolies, so to speak. So in order for them to make sure that they don't get abused by the state legislator or that they don't lose out on their current sort of protections that they have, because that with the with the monopoly comes a lot of regulation. Like there, it's a trade-off. They are a monopoly, but they get, they are very restricted and they want to make sure the restrictions don't get worse, but they also want to make sure that their monopoly doesn't get, you know, taken away from them as well. So they care. I'll give you a story here just as a quick example that we can move on to the policy quick. But before you, before you so, do that, Dennis, before you go into that, I, I want to hear the story and everybody else listening does too, but we got to take just a quick break. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Mark Moss show and I'm sitting down with Dennis Porter from the Satoshi Action Fund uh, talking about the way that uh, he's ch helping to change, educate people and change and push action in the policy and the Bitcoin space specifically. And he's got a great story to illustrate that. And he's going to tell you when we come back, but we're going to take a quick break. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print, or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at legalshield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. 
Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about... um, the Bitcoin mining space and the policies and regulations around that. I'm sitting down with Dennis Porter from the Satoshi Action Fund. And Dennis, I had to kind of cut you off and we left everybody hanging. So you're going to kind of give like a little illustrative story there for a second. So go ahead. Yeah, definitely. Um, the you, know, you had mentioned how important it would be to get energy companies and utilities on board because of the impact it would have if they were on our team. Well, just as an example, in the state of Mississippi, when we went there to try to pass policy, you know, we had some sort of kind of mid- communication breakdown is what I would call it with some of the energy companies there. And we ended up having to sit down with all the different lobbyists to be able to talk about what we were doing. Well, ultimately it just didn't end very well for us, right? Because they didn't see us as a friend in the fight. They saw us as someone that might be a threat to what's going on there in that state. So ultimately we weren't able to get anything done in Mississippi. But imagine the inverse. Imagine if all of the utility companies and all the people in the state of Mississippi that are that are working within the energy sector see the value of this technology. All of a sudden, instead of them fighting us at the state legislature to pass this policy, they are working with us as a partner in tandem to help make sure that the state of Mississippi is a leader on Bitcoin mining. And so I think ultimately we'll, we'll come around, we're going to come around this next cycle. We, we might have a little bit better work with us to do in that state. But we had to sit down with all these lobbyists from all the other energy companies and they were telling, like worried about what we were going to do. So my the goal ultimately would be to get all the utilities, not just in Mississippi, but across the entire country to see the value of Bitcoin mining for balancing the grid and for enhancing energy projects and get them to fight for it at the state legislators where the vast majority of energy policy is taking place either through the state legislature or through the public utility commissions there as well. Yeah. Now, um, let's get back into that bill. You were talking about the bill and we were talking about where I was talking about how um, it's not really the legislators that write the bills. They kind of co-sponsor the bills. And so you submitted a bill. So like that seems to be the kind of way it works. So just, yeah, let's take a step back really quickly. Um, there's, there's a vast difference between what happens at the state level and what happens at the federal level. At the federal level, there's quite a bit more involvement from the legislator and the legislator staff on the process. But the difference between that and the states is that the, the federal level has a vast budget to be able to hire well-qualified staffers to focus on these issues and to come up with great policy solutions. So generally speaking, you're not really like 
you know, the, they, they say the term is like handing policy to them, which is not something that we do either. Generally, what you do is you have bullet points and you just say, hey, these are some things that we think would be important and you're going to take it. And if you like what we're trying to do, you're going to take it and move on. So, for instance, in the state of Montana, you say, hey, you like Bitcoin mining. We like Bitcoin mining. Here's some things that we know should probably take pay place if you want to see the adoption of Bitcoin mining in the state. So then the policymaker takes that bill, sends it to the drafters who put it into Montana state code, design it all out. And then the policymaker works and fights to make sure that that bill makes it through committee, um, through the House and Senate, and then passes it and hopefully signs it by the governor. So, you know, the, handing them policy directly is not exactly the right way to say it, although it does kind of take place. It's not the best way to describe what's going on. And, and if it does play, take place, it's usually happening mostly at the state level. Got it. OK, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, now. You know, one thing that uh, I, I know, you know, I, I think I forget the last time, I, the first time I had you on, but I remember it was kind of at this point, it seems like to, I remember at this point where Bitcoin was kind of becoming like this political um, tool where like it seemed like maybe just like the conservative, maybe right side of the aisle was kind of picking it up. And then like maybe the left kind of d Democrat side was kind of now saying, oh, it's like this political tool. Um, and now it seems to be embraced by both sides of the aisle. As a matter of fact, I'm here speaking at the Freedom Fest in Memphis, Tennessee this week. There's uh, several presidential candidates here, including RFK Jr. on the left and Vivek Ramaswamy on the right. Um, and Tulsi Gabbard was speaking this morning. She's not running for president, but she's in the middle. <laughs> and they're all uh, proponent uh, for Bitcoin. Do you think that Bitcoin has uh, sort of, I guess, jumped? It's kind of scaled to that level where it's no longer left or right. It's no longer like a political tool. I mean, both sides are for it. Or how do you view that now? You know, it really is a pretty complex situation, complex question. You definitely do see quite a bit more uptake, uh, early uptake from those on the right, especially those that have libertarian leanings on the right. On the left, you are starting to see some movement, though. We do see RFK coming out in support of this. We also do have, you know, in, in Congress, we have a blockchain caucus. And there are dozens of members there, and many of them are Democrats. So, um, you know, Richie Torres, you've got Darren Soto, among many others like Rokana, who are very supportive of the digital asset space broadly. So it, although the I would say it's more of a narrative war than it is an actual uh, conversation about who is for and against Bitcoin. Yes, right now, currently, you do have an administration on the left with Democrats, the Biden administration with uh, folks like Elizabeth Warren, who seemingly are you know, kind of charging forward with this narrative that we need to oppose the digital asset space by creating an anti-crypto army. But that's not really the tone of the entire Democrat Party. Um, in fact, you have senators like Ron Wyden, who are being supportive of the industry, who see the value of Bitcoin mining as, as something that can use green energy. Um, we also recently were meeting with various other folks in the Senate, and we're going to be going back here again soon. And we're having a ton of great conversations where people do see the value of Bitcoin mining as, as an environmental cleanup tool, but also as something that could balance the grid and advance renewables in this country. And that's something that all Democrats love. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I'm hearing two different things there, right? So, like, for sure, like, I hear, like, uh, some of the senators that really, you know, care about their states and want to um, increase, you know, the grid dependent, the grid independence or even, the you know, the energy sectors in their states. And so they see bene uh, the benefits of having Bitcoin for that perspective. But then, you know, when I listen to RFK Jr., I mean, he's really saying that, like, you should just have the right to choose what you want. You should have the freedom to use what you want money. So I think I think they're kind of getting at from both sides. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I love what RFK is saying. I think the you know one of his best traits has to be that he's very much a free market individual, and I think that that's where he derives his belief that people should have open and access to Bitcoin. And he also cares a lot about the environment. And fortunately, people have been able to get in and share with him about the potential positive impact of Bitcoin mining for the environment. But RFK is not the president. You know, he is he is a candidate running for office. He's never held office. He's never been an elected official. Although he's seemingly kind of rising in the polls and definitely rising in his media attention. I mean, the, whoever the guy's media manager is, it needs to be uh, getting paid top dollar once he exits this campaign because he's doing an incredible job of getting RFK into these sorts of media positions to get out and a word on what his positions are on a variety of issues. And he has strong issues on a variety of issues that Americans care about. So uh, currently, like I said, you know, Biden, current administration, kind of negative towards Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining, but there are plenty of Democrats, RFK, Darren Soto, Wyden, uh, many others who are supportive of the industry. And I hope that we get a chance to see that more of that take place as time goes on. Would you be concerned with RFK's, um, you know, kind of uh, longstanding environmental positions in regards to that? He would be a massive upgrade over the current position of what's ha taking place uh, with the current Biden administration. He's partly because he has been educated on the potential for Bitcoin mining to be good, um, a good tool for the environment, but also because he believes a lot more in free market economics. And I don't think he would go out of his way to ban Bitcoin mining. You know, he has said that he likes the idea of a free market environment for energy multiple times. He's been asked about it as it pertains to nuclear energy and to wind and solar. And he's come on the record multiple times saying that he believes in a free market for energy. And I think that that's really what Bitcoin mining needs at this point. Yeah, I did get a chance to speak with him personally at uh, Michael Saylor's house when we were in Miami. And um, and I had a chance to uh, actually have that exact conversation with him about nuclear energy. And um, I, to be honest, I was a little disappointed with his answer and stance on that. And, and he's very educated, uh, but it just seemed a little bit misplaced in my opinion. And ultimately where it came down to was he believes that nuclear power is not safe and it's not cost effective. And we've had, you know, depending on how you want to look at the data, we've had maybe a few hundred people die total in the history of nuclear power. Uh, none had died in the last, uh, you know, nuclear problem in, in Fukushima yet who knows how many people die in creation of solar panels, digging out minerals out of the ground and all that installing and probably falling off of the lifts, whatever. So one, we've had, you know, nuclear subs since the sixties never had a problem with it. Um, so anyway, I was a little bit, a little bit taken back by that stance, but you know, we'll, we'll see now if you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Mark Moss show, I got to take a quick break, but I'm going to be right back. So don't go away. You don't want to miss it. I'll be right back. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people. 
in an unscripted, unvarnished way, is getting to to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. I'm sitting down with Dennis Porter from Satoshi Action Fund. We're talking about his work and the fund, Satoshi Action Fund's work on educating uh, in the political space and and taking action on that. Now, you know, one thing, um, Dennis, is I'm curious, obviously you guys have been doing this for a while, and I'm sure some of it has been some of your impact, but I think there's also a bigger impact just happening in the mainstream. Um, and I'm curious if you've seen maybe a little bit of a shift in the rhetoric around Bitcoin specifically, and maybe Bitcoin mining a little bit even more specifically around some of the rhetoric. And so, you know, obviously we know um, some of the hit pieces that have been done, you know, Bitcoin is going to consume more energy than the, you know, the entire earth and um, things like that. Um, We've seen stuff like that. We saw the hit piece I referenced earlier, like New York Times did in the you know the riot uh, Bitcoin space, uh, mining space. But then you know I'm I'm curious you know now that we're starting to see you know BlackRock coming in and like hey we're going to launch a fund ETF right and and Fidelity um, and so even Fidelity you know doing some mining and things like that. Do you think that will start to shift the mainstream media's portrayal of what it is? I mean. BlackRock potentially is going to have a lot of money to spend towards getting people into their ETF. Um, do you, th- you know, BlackRock is probably a big sponsor of some of this mainstream media. Do you think, are you starting to see it shift or do you think that will start to shift it? Yeah, absolutely. It will. You know, I've said for a long time that, you know, as Bitcoin advances in the United States and as the organizations with all the money organizations like, you know, BlackRock start to come on board and start to see the value of this technology, that once they start to see that it's something that they want to push uh, to the folks within their fund, that they will actually turn around and use their political power to protect Bitcoin. So I, I think you know there's something to be said about the, the, the fact that Bitcoin is very permissionless and it has a very strong incentive structure. And so anybody can gain access to it and it is going to use its in strong incentive structure to encourage everyone to be a part of it. And once you're a part of it, you know, Mark, like just like myself, you know, all of a sudden I I'm into Bitcoin and five years later, I'm fighting at the front lines trying to make sure that folks are educated on this issue. I could probably get paid way better to go do something else. But I, you know, I'm on out here trying to make sure that this technology is advocated for and that Americans have access to it. So, yeah, I do agree that that BlackRock coming in will be good in the sense that it will provide additional resources and another voice kind of in the void, so to speak, a very large voice. Uh, one of the largest, or if not the largest uh, fund in the entire world coming in and supporting the industry. Uh, But also I I do see there is a churn or a a shift in the narrative taking place. We do see a lot of bad articles coming out about Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining, but in the last six months, there has been a rapid uptick 
in positive coverage. In fact, in the last month or two, we have seen Forbes just come out with positive article after positive article around Bitcoin mining. That means that you know the folks at the top at Forbes are starting to think that maybe that this is something that they had gotten wrong in the past and that now they are starting to see the value of it. I think that Forbes is just the beginning and that you'll see more of this take place. We should be giving a very large shout out to people like Pierre Richard, Daniel Batten, and others who have done a lot of work to try to convince folks that we need to be getting behind Bitcoin and that America needs to be leading on this technology. Uh, in regards to that, with America leading this technology, I mean, it is American technology. It was developed in America. It has uh, it has the American ethos built in, right? Strong private property rights, rule of law, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, we saw, we saw, you know, China had over 60% of the network capacity of the mining network capacity in China. And then China took a very aggressive stance and kicked it all out of its country. And the United States became a big beneficiary of that. Um, you know, I'm not exactly sure. I, I don't know if the United States is about 30% of that. Now you can correct me if I'm wrong on that. But, um, you know, we saw that the, the United States was sort of, uh, given that role handed, handed that role almost by default. I'm curious what you think the, the future is. I mean, if the United States continues on the you know restrictive war path, so to speak, does America lose its place um, with this technology? Do, and, and do you see other countries potentially stepping up to challenge that role? Like, for example, um, Georgia, we saw, which is obviously a very small country, but stepping in to start mining it directly. Of course, you know, El Salvador has been talking about mining it directly. So do you think like, is it ours to lose? Do you think if they don't if they don't quickly change, another country could take the lead on this? What's your viewpoint on that? There's always opportunities for other countries to uh, attract the Bitcoin digital asset space, Bitcoin mining to their shores. And that's the great thing about this technology is that it can really be anywhere, anywhere that there is energy. However, that being said, I will say that the United States is in an incredible position to keep a vast majority of the hash rate inside of its borders, simply for the fact that we have um, a lot of inefficiencies where Bitcoin miners can take place over a vast area where they can start to benefit from the lack of inefficiencies that are created by wind and solar on the grid. But also, we have one of the most stable political systems in the entire world. Now, uh, you know, you go and you set up in somewhere in Africa, somewhere in China, uh, you name it, you might go there, they might have cheaper power. But a couple things could take place. One is you might end up having to pay corruption charges. Like there are people that will just charge you money just saying, hey, you got to pay me money or we're going to we're going to mess up your business. Or you have to worry about, you know, for instance, in Kazakhstan, the Internet going down completely or China deciding to ban Bitcoin mining. So those things are not taking place in the United States. So far, we have not seen any sort of really aggressive anti Bitcoin mining policy take place other than just solely in the state of New York, where that's kind of a one off situation. Well, what, a second what about, what about like the whole, what about like the whole Biden, like 30 uh, percent tax uh, and all that? Yeah, I mean, sure, the president can suggest whatever he wants, but it never really had a chance of passing through Congress and, in fact, was completely shut down during the deal trading that happened for the the, the budget limit uh, trade, I want to call it trade negotiations. But, but if, if something like that were to go through, then that would qualify as a very restrictive, sort of like what these other countries have done, potentially, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, a 30% tax would have virtually destroyed the industry overnight in the United States. But you think there was really never a really strong chance of that ever happening? It was more just like some rhetoric? Absolutely. Uh, rhetoric, very, very, very low chance of it happening. Like the thing is with bills, this is this is kind of the way that you need to think about them is that you can introduce a bill for free, but it takes a lot of work to get it passed. And yes, if 
The Biden administration was wholly invested in a 30% tax on Bitcoin mining. They might have been able to squeak it out. But you have to remember, there are many other much more important topics and issues to the administration than screwing Bitcoin miners over with a 30% tax. I mean, you're talking about the war in Ukraine, you're talking about the border, you're talking about health, you're talking about homelessness. This is not an issue that is worth you know, even negotiating over. Um, fortunately, in a situation where we had the debt limit increase, where they were negotiating over that, Republicans had negotiated that they wanted no new additional taxes in that, in that debt limit bill, which ultimately resulted in there not being any new uh, taxes on Bitcoin mining. So kind of fortunately, we were swept up in that, but that's kind of how DC operates. Like you don't, you don't ever go to DC and just say, I want this one bill to pass and it passed because it was such a good idea. Generally, it's like a movement or a wave of policy. Like you didn't, you know, the, the healthcare bill was thousands of pages with hundreds of different types of policies in there. It's not just one little policy that passes. They oftentimes get grouped up into larger bills and passed or not passed. That's generally the way it works in DC. Uh, and again, we are fortunate that for some reason within the Republican party, they were able to negotiate that they wanted no new additional taxes. I mean, they're generally anti-tax, so that's part, that's why, but for some reason that was um, a big part of their negotiation package. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like you said, I mean, a lot of times they, they pass these giant omnibus bills that have all types of things stuffed in there that most people have no chance to even read. Right. And so, for example, one of the things they do, which unfortunately seems like they're going to continue to spend more money. Uh, we just saw how the debt ceiling debate went down. And when they want to pass these new spending bills, they have to figure out how to get the money from somewhere. And a lot of times those uh, take into attack, you know, new taxes into account or something like that. They have to figure out how to pay for that. So, uh, you know, it's a matter of staying vigilant, right? It's uh, my, my fear is that they, right. my, my fear is that they do these things and then, you know, they kind of throw it out against the wall. It's kind of outrageous. It's like a, it's what you'd call like a drop sell technique, right? They throw something out outrageous that people object to. They, they take it away and then they bring it back a little bit more tame. And then people kind of just like let it go through. So we definitely have to stay vigilant. So I love what, what you're doing uh, with Satoshi Action Fund. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. I've been sitting down with Dennis Porter from the Satoshi Action Fund. And uh, you should definitely check them out. Dennis, anywhere else anyone should uh, follow along? Yeah, if you want to follow us, you can sign up for our newsletter by going to satoshiaction.io. If you want to reach out to me personally, you can email me at dennis at satoshiaction.io. And we also, you know, have all of our Twitter accounts up and running. If you if you look us up, you know, we'll show up right at the top. Yep. And we're going to make sure that we link all that in the show notes down below. Definitely give Dennis a follow and check him out. And that's what we got. Thanks so much for listening today. Till next time. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning, is connecting with people. In an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine and I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. 
Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.